Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Okasanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Hello and welcome to Retirementals. I am Abraham Okusoya and it's great to have you here today. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far. I've got a fantastic guest lined up for today. Before we do that, before we dive right in, um, can I just say thank you for the reviews and the ratings that you've uh, that, that we've received so far on the on the podcast if you haven't um, reviewed the podcast so far would very much like for you to do that um, the the latest re- review we've received the first one actually is from babbage fox who said a great balanced discussion i will look forward to the next episode and Paul Lewis does make me smile. A very honest view, he said. And uh, yeah, so if you like to leave a podcast, uh, sorry, sorry, like to leave a podcast, if you like to leave a review, please do so on um, Apple Podcast or wherever all good podcasts are sold. Okay, moving on to today's um, podcast. I'm very excited by my guest today. Tim Horrocks is the founder and managing director of Rock Wealth, which is a financial planning firm based in Gloucestershire, I think, Cheltenham. Um, Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Abraham. Tim, it's, it's great to have you on the show. I am a big fan of your work and the firm. Tell us a little bit about the firm as it exists today, the people, um, you know, your clients and, and, and what you do. Sure. Um, so based in Cheltenham, as, as I said, Abraham, there are three financial planners based in the business here in, uh, in Cheltenham with with support um, around us. Uh, and more recently as well, we've got some other Rock Wealth um, affiliates offices opening around the UK. So we also have a Rock Wealth office in Norwich, uh, Leamington Spa, Brighton this month, and Cardiff and Cheshire within the next uh, within the next two months as well. So um, financial planners in, in all of those offices, that will take us to um, seven or eight planners um, by, uh, by the beginning of the new tax year. Wow, that's incredible. So you're you're basically doubling up the the size of the firm, uh, at least from the from the point of view of the the number of planners that you you have. Tell us a little bit more about you know where you are today in terms of clients. What's a typical client of the firm um, in terms of uh, you know you know is there a niche um, that that you serve? Revenue fees. What what, what does that look like t- today? So typical client, uh, probably an average of at least 750,000 of uh, liquid assets that we, that we help them look after. Most clients are pre or shortly post retirement. So they're either thinking about retiring um, kind of 50 onwards or they're shortly after um, retirement. So maybe kind of between the ages of 60, 75. Um, so yeah, wealth accumulated and we're really trying to help them see can they retire? Have they got enough? Is it going to be sustainable? How can we encourage them, coach them to spend that money? Um, we often say to our clients, if you die rich, we've, uh, we've done a, a terrible disservice. Um, so we're trying to help our clients utilize, utilize their money 
um, and that kind of sweet spot is, is about 750 plus. I think the more clients have, the better value we are because of our charging structure. So certainly once you get north of half a million, I think we're, we're fantastic value compared to the, to the marketplace. Um, I'd still say we're, we're really good value above, above 250. It's just the more you've got on a fixed fee structure, the, the less it costs you proportionally. So we just start becoming better and better value really. That's fascinating. We'll dive right in, into that, the, the fee structure, the flat fee structure, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, a little bit more. But for now, let, let's give us your backstory. You know, what was it for you, like, growing up? And um, how, how did you get into the financial planning profession? So nothing too noteworthy, Mike, growing up, really kind of middle England, growing up in you know, a shire in England isn't really, <laughs> isn't really that exciting. There's not that much going on. Um, so yeah, went to you know, local local primary school, local comprehensive senior school, sixth form. Um, went to university where I studied economics, which I, I did at A level as well. So that was that was just genuine interest. I've always been interested in in politics and economics and um, you know, geopolitical things, what's going on in the world, what's gone in, on in the world in the past. Um, so I find that interesting. Uh, and I suppose financial planning. Or financial advice, IFAs, as it, as it kind of was um, back then, became of interest to me. So my older brother, um, Max, works in, works in the firm now, um, as well as a partner here in Cheltenham. Um, but he's you know, four years my senior, and he, he kind of got me interested in it, I suppose. He kind of went to Korean finance first. Um, he wasn't a financial advisor, um, but he worked as a business development manager and started getting into that world. And I thought that actually sounds really interesting. Um, and also, while I was studying... Um, economics we did um, modules on investments and I remember um, one of the lecturers at the time actually saying about you know just bought the stock market and hey you've made a fantastic return you don't need to do uh, too much beyond that um, and it's it a bit of a mixture between actually not just being sat at a desk all day speaking to people um, it sounded interesting um, and the more I got into that world the more more I enjoyed it um, it probably just didn't start really loving what I did until we actually became financial planners which isn't that long ago really you know probably wouldn't say i was really a financial planner until maybe five six years ago um because it just it didn't really used to exist <laughs> did it now i worked i worked for banks that was kind of my first um foray really into financial advice to work for um, a couple of different banks and it was all around products it was all around yeah. products um it was you know how can you make the product fit the client really rather than anything else and i think that continued for, for quite a long time so, so, so you you worked in bank insurance for for a number of years. That sort of yeah. gave you your start in the in the profession, and mm -hmm. then you you set up Rockwell. What was that? Did you not, no, not not straight to that actually. Not straight to that. So, um, two thousand eight, I was uh, twenty eight years old at the time, um, and I got I got approached and tempted by the machine that is uh, is St James's Place, and I thought that looks good. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. wow. So I yeah, so I was actually a partner at St James's Place for. Um, three years through to 2011 rdr was now on the horizon i saw that as a as a real challenge for um a business structure like st james's place i thought that can't work i can't work in that structure you know those fees are just not um sustainable in the rdr world um so made the decision that time um need to get out of that kind of structure need to be independent need to be more flexible in fees um i started hearing more about fixed fees and other alternatives um so 
decided to to make a change at that point and it was it was a big decision really i've built up a client bank over three years and as you know you and many of your listeners will probably appreciate you can't really just take your clients from st james's place and move them the next day because all the kind of the complexity of um exit penalties etc so it was kind of leaving my first three years work behind and sort of starting again so I worked as um um yeah, a contractor in a way sort of independent consultant with a couple of um local ifa firms um and after that experience kind of my st james's place experience i thought you know what i need to do my own thing i need to i need to get directly authorized set up a firm where i'm you know more control of the process the rules how it works fee structure investment proposition um being charged my destiny destiny really um, and that was 2013 i made that decision um, august 2013 rockwell incorporated and we had our FCA permissions by February 2014. So we're just shy of our seventh birthday uh, as, as an incorporated entity. So um, still a child, but still young. Wow, incredible. Congratulations. Uh, and I want to I want to dive into, into the firm, your philosophy and, and fee structure, but I can't let this go. Don't you think today, though, looking back, that you're wrong about SJP in the sense that they still continue to go from strength to strength. As a matter of fact, I think that the number of clients and assets must have more than doubled since you left. Yeah, just goes to show that speculating is a pointless task. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was right that they would struggle with um, RDR rules and they, they don't really um, operate in the same, um, the same space of rules that um, the rest of the industry does. So, you know, I think that, that I was correct. Yeah, no, there, there's there's an ex- exemption made for them. I don't know something of that nature, but uh, yeah, but but also you know I, I I took on a lot of the good things. You know what what they're actually very very good at, which is marketing, yeah, um, proposition, um, training. You know that you've got to always look at you know successful firms are successful for for reasons, for reason. um, yeah. and you, you've got to pick out the good things. So I've, I've tried to incorporate a lot of those good things into. Um, Rockwell kind of you know, brands quality of what you do. Rockwell came to to my on my radar uh, a few years ago. It must be five years ago or so now, and I think it came about because you guys were um, a staunch advocate of evidence investing, and you were really making a lot of noise about this. So so. Tell us, uh, what is that? What is evidence-based investing? And, and why is this a core part of your, your proposition as a firm? So why, what is evidence-based investing? So normally at this point, I'll send Abraham an email to say, can you, <laughs> can you write me a piece on this best way to describe evidence-based investing? Um, yeah, so my, my own words of doing that, I would say it's just looking at evidence you know I'm, I'm a believer in in science you know you can back certain things up and some things you can't um and evidence-based investing is just well, what can be tested as being true you know we've had the whole you know trump um <laughs> noise over the last four years and lots of kind of you know um conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff going on and that's kind of you know the political side of active fund managers a load of noise and shouting and just oh stirring up opinions to try and get what you're trying to get to um whereas i think sort of the evidence-based um world is just going back to to science rational thoughts enlightenment if you like it's just more um predictable reliable research-based um 
proposition and it helps us achieve our primary goal, which is with financial planners. We're trying to plan for something in the long-term future. You want to try and get rid of speculation as much as you can or reduce the variables. Um, and you know, individual fund manager performance is just such an unknown quantity. It's just not, it's not good for a client to go near it. So, so you guys did a lot of work promoting this through, we, you, you worked with Robin Powell and, and all that stuff. T- tell us a little bit about that. How, how did that come about? Yeah, so um, one of the partners here, um, Mark Vale, um, joined, he's been here five years um, now, so really kind of early in the, in the, in the setup of Rockwell. Um, and Mark came with um, that kind of full belief in evidence-based investing. Um, and it's something I'd, I'd looked at the past, I'd built passive models on you know, some of the, the old platforms back in the, back in the day as kind of a nice low cost alternative. But what I always appreciated was that I'm not an investment manager. I should not be constructing mm. investment portfolios. It shouldn't be something um, I should be doing. Um, and I looked around at the time, there weren't really, there were no sort of DFM outfits out there that would go and do that kind of passive construction for you. It just didn't really exist. So that kind of went by the wayside a bit because it was just easier making use of you know, model portfolio services and other DFMs, just allocating that responsibility and, and concentrating on, on the advice. Um, but Mark, Mark kind of came with a, with a solution and we agreed at the, in, at the time and sort of the rock wealth ethos is that whatever you're going to do, you've got to do as a collective, you've got to have joint beliefs, collective beliefs, and it can't be, you know, go to someone, you get a completely different bit of advice from seeing someone else. It's got to be that, that same path. Um, um, so we accepted, yeah, that, that's the route we need to go down as a firm. Um, but then it was, well, how do I educate my clients? Mm. And this is what we should be doing. And we always say, you know, the great thing about evidence-based investing is there's so much research and there's tons of literature out there to prove your points. But to try and point a client in a succinct way of proving that point is actually a challenge. Um, so one of the best ways that I found to communicate that um, and one of the best resources I kind of learned myself to, to kind of have that conversation with clients is to watch um, Mark Hepner's documentary, um, 12 Step Recovery Process for an Active Investor. Yes, um, yes. I can't remember the year that was produced, but it was by-, by A Robin long Howard. time really, ago, yeah. Long time ago, yeah. Robin um, sort of fronted it, which is um, production company, Regis Media produced it. And our first point was, do you know what? There's no UK version. Maybe, maybe these guys will be up for that. Let's go um, via Robin. We'll ask Mark Hebner. Do you mind? Can we anglicise this and make it UK? Um, make a UK version. Um, yeah, but they don't speak English in America, do they? Sorry, Gary. It's it, yeah, it's just different kind of thing. So it was great, but it just it was you know there are there are different ways of communicating the same message, aren't there? Um, and that wasn't that wasn't going to be a possibility. Um, so we thought let's do our own. Um, let's let's do something so we've got a really clear way of communicating to current clients why they should invest in an evidence-based manner and also future clients you know let's make it part of our education process that before they onboard they watch this they understand it if they disagree go somewhere else um you know it's a nice kind of filtering process but also then the fact that they've then been educated not by us by independent experts academics who have got no self-interest in communicating this message they're just doing it because that's that's the truth. Um, so you're use, you, you were using this content, this video, which, which went quite, um, you know, I'll use the word viral, actually, mm-hmm. um, um, as a way to A, educate your clients about what evidence-based investing is all about, 
but also as a filter to people yeah. who don't subscribe. I mean, people might say, well, why enforce your own philosophy or ideas on investment on clients? Why don't you, even before they've come to you, right? Mm -hmm. Why don't you, uh, you know, why don't they come to you and, and they tell you what, what, what they want and you, you sort it out, you find, get, get, get it for them. Yeah, you, did, you know, you don't have an argument with a, with a client every year on, um, you know, whether the tooth fairy exists or not. No, it's not. not <laughs> it's not a conversation we want to be spending our time on is the investment proposition. We want to be talking about the plan, the goals, you know, stuff we can influence, you know, making use of tax exemptions, allowances, doing that stuff, not talking about what's the best performing fund last year and should I buy Neil Woodford or, you know, that's not a conversation we want to waste our time doing, really. So let's filter at, at outset. Um, clients will, will hopefully understand that and realize that why we're trying to do it, which is their own interest. It's not for us, it's for them. Um, so it also sets up that relationship really well. You're kind of going in as being a breath of fresh air, um, which is good. I mean, it's it's crazy that telling people the truth in financial services is disruptive, <laughs> but it is. Um, you know, that, that makes a big difference. You, you start off on a really good um, footing that you, you don't lack trust. I know that you know you guys use use Bitfolio, our firm, um, you know, to help out with the with the portfolio management of things. You know, someone might say, "Well, why? Why don't you just do this yourself? Clients are coming to you, um, you know, to to help them with this." Yeah, it's the same way that you know I wouldn't write my own will or you know landscape my own garden. The garden would look a mess, and you know I'll probably end up leaving my money to you know to you or something. Eight pound, <laughs> I'd mess it up. You know, you've you've got to you've got to stick at being an expert at what you're experts at, and I've always firmly believed in outsourcing. You know, you can't you can't employ all the best people in the world to do that work for you. So. Don't try really, unless you're kind of you know stupidly big scale, and you you could you know have a chance of doing that. Um, you know, I'd rather employ people on a consultancy basis like you through Betafolio. We we outsource compliance supports. Um, we outsource para planning. You know, outsource sort of virtual PA services. So if no one can pick up the phone in the office, it's going to be answered. Outsourcing kind of the marketing, the SEO, the media production. You know, I'm a financial planner. I don't do any of those jobs. So outsource to experts is is time saving. Um, it's better better outcome for the clients. Um, and also the bit they appreciate is the time they spend in front of you. You know, if I'm going off doing you know writing um, blogs or trying to do fund research, it's just a waste of my time in, in the client's eyes, really. It's incredible. You you built a, a fantastic firm basically by outsourcing all the non-core activity, including you know the media, marketing, clients, mm -hmm. education, all that stuff. That that's 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 incredible. Now, I know that you you make a big um, noise. I think about about you know this idea of being flat fee. Why, you know, what's wrong with the AUM fee um, approach um, to, 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 to charging clients for, for advice? And so it just, it generates a conflict of interest. Um, you just can't escape from the fact that is a conflict of interest. If I get paid more because you invest more, it's a conflict. You know, you can have an argument saying, oh, you know, I get paid more because you make more money. But our job, and I said this earlier on in this conversation, if clients die rich, we've done a terrible job. So how, how do you kind of um, reconcile one, one with the other? You know, our job should be to help 
our clients or encouraging our clients to spend their money. And of course, you've got an accumulation phase. You need to be encouraging them to save money, build it up for that downwards journey, um, you know, spending the money. But you can't, you can't get to the point where you've accumulated so much wealth that's going to last them and then said, oh, don't spend that much. Don't spend that much. Don't spend that much because it's affecting your own, your own base level of income. Um, you know, the fee structures is, is, is challenge. It's hard, to, it's hard to put that kind of structure in place. Um, I don't think we've, we've nailed it. I don't think it's perfect. Um, but what we've always tried to do is try to make it perfect. And I think we'll continue to try to do that. Um, but it's, it, it is complex because you have got to give some appreciation of the size of the client the complexity of the client situation, the time you're going to spend with them. And a lot of the time, all three of those things increase as the client's got more money, but it shouldn't purely be based on how much they've got. You know, a two million pound client shouldn't be paying, you know, a 20% of 10 million pound client. There, there, there does become a line in the sand where it is just profiteering. Now a word from our sponsor. Nikki Heating Jones is the Managing Director and the Chief Investment Officer at Betafolio, the high-tech, low-cost, discretionary model portfolio manager. Hi, Nikki. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Betafolio. Sure, it would be my pleasure. So I've been working with you and the guys at Betafolio for just over a year and a half now, so almost right from the very beginning. And my role now as you've alluded to with the CIO hat and the MD hat is to, to really make sure that our investment process runs smoothly. Um, it's key for me to make sure that our strategies reflect our core beliefs. And as a turnkey asset management service to make sure that advisors are supported with everything they need for their own investment proposition. So with the ultimate goal of making sure their end clients get a good deal. Um, I'm really lucky. It's a really varied role because we aim to be a one-stop shop for advisors. I get to work on all the elements of the investment proposition and every advisor we work with is different and we don't, we don't provide a cookie cutter service. So we, we get to work with all those different firms and, and work in a different way with each of our clients as well. Nikki, Thank you very much. T tell us a little bit more about how you calc you, you work out the fees. So, so is there a flaw in terms of the, 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 the base, um, you know, retainer, you know, so a client walks in today, I don't know, with, with whatever the size of their portfolio is, um, how do you work out what, what they are, what they're supposed to be paying? So our charging structure used to be a bit charge 75 basis points up to a million, 35 basis points afterwards. So 0.75 has always been a bit of an anchor. So you think our kind of our minimum size of a client would be 250,000 pounds for us really to be kind of worthwhile working. So that's kind of our floor, 0.75 wrap, right. 18750 per year. That's kind of our floor. Um, and we've had a bit of a, we always used to have, I say a cap, you know, a largely held through a cap, 10,000 pounds. So that'd be kind of, you'd sit between those numbers. Um, and I'd say it was largely capped because some clients are just even more complicated than that 10,000 cap. Mm. You know, there might be some you know, business relief things going in and trust things going in, family investment company structures. You can build a whole load of complexity on top of, you know, really affluent clients. But most of our clients up to, you know, few million pounds 10,000 would, would would cover it so we used to cap at 10,000 floor at eight, um, 1875 and then it'd be a percentage in between those numbers 
Um, whereas now we're, we're kind of breaking it into almost three different profiles. So people in an accumulation phase, it's less complicated. They shouldn't really be paying more than sort of circa 5,000 a year because it's, it's relatively simple. I mean, you might be looking at some clients to spend more time with because I've got to do some carry forward calculations and there's a few different pension plans. You know, you've got to have some allowance for charging charging a little bit more. Um, but the, the, the guts of really the complex ones are in decumulation phase. So you say, well, decumulation clients, we've got, and got a different charging structure. Maybe the, the kind of the floor there is more like 3,000 a year because, you know, they need to have a decent chunk of wealth to be in a decumulation strategy anyway. Mm. So you want those clients to have at least three, four, five hundred thousand to be going into decumulation drawdown strategies. Um, so we've got a floor there of about three thousand up to about seven and a half. And then we just have a different category of um, charging structure for what we describe as um, yeah, high net worth or complex clients. So typically that's clients with a million plus or just more complex things going on. And that's when we start looking at about seven and a half to ten thousand pounds as a typical fee. Um, but allowance that as some clients have just got a lot more going on so it could be more but the, i think the most important thing is not necessarily what the fixed fee is it's the fact that as it's not a percentage it isn't linked to investment growth and that's when you start having that separation if we, we start at the same point and you've got 0.751 as a percentage or 0.75 as monetary they're going to separate over time because your portfolio is going to make them inflation plus isn't it? Mm. It's going to be plus something. Mm. Mm. If it's really mm. kind of high equity, it's going to be maybe plus three, four. If it's mm. really low, it might be plus a half or one. But those those two numbers are going to separate over time. So compound over 20 years, you're just far better off having a fixed monetary amount. Uh, and, you know, Tim, I, I don't actually disagree with, with this approach. As you know, with, with Betafolio, you know, we, we have a flat fee proposition, which is actually, you know, charged to the firm, um, you know, as opposed to, to, to the client. But I often, I sometimes wonder if we are missing a trick here. Are we, are you, are you being basically earlier than thou, um, you know, in this, in the sense that the AUM model is an incredibly profitable model, especially in the asset management space. You know, as you said to yourself, with, with the flat fee structure, I assume that you'd have to, you know, do some sort of inflation linking. So you have to increase the fee in line with inflation, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So, so it goes up in line with inflation, which which is reasonable and fair. But who doesn't want above inflation growth in their revenue? If you know, as a business person, don't you think? Well, actually, you know, I I I um, I charge based on assets, and I know we know that the capital market is going to grow faster than inflation in the long run. Who wouldn't want that? It seems crazy to me that, uh, you know, someone wouldn't want that as a business model. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a business owner, that makes far more sense, doesn't it? But if you're if you're a fiduciary firm, then it's clients' interest first. And we know that clients will be better off on a fixed fee model, even where inflation link it. And, you know, what we'd say is that it's annually um, reviewable rather than just, you know, a baseline of, inflation linkage in there you could say well actually we're going to decrease it next year because um you have spent a big chunk of your money and it's no longer kind of morally acceptable to be charging you that level of fixed fee because it would now be i don't know 1.25 percent of your wealth and that's just that's just too much so you've got to kind of put some some caps and collars in place and we kind of have a moral limit that you couldn't it couldn't be more than one percent it just couldn't be more than one percent so um that's kind of how we how we manage that. Um, but yeah, you just got to look at it on an annual basis with clients, which you're doing anyway with everything else. Can we save fees on platforms, investment funds, 
you know, and you're part, you're a big part of the cost as a financial planner. Um, and we know that we add loads of value. And most of the research says we add more than three percent a year. But you still got to, you know, you still got to show your work to a client every year and show that, you know, you're reviewing these things. You can't just think that, um, you know, the, the price now is is good forever. It's incredible, actually, you know, and, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, I, I wish the, the general public know a lot more about this. I had um, um, Paul, Paul Lewis on the on the first episode of the show and, you know, Paul was making the point about, I don't agree with him, um, you know, about, you know, the percentage base fee being, as he calls it, a, a some, so, some sort of wealth tax. And, you know, just listening to you, and the steps that you've gone to negate, um, you know, this thing about salience of, um, of the AUM fees, it kind of goes in line with inflation, uh, sorry, with, with the capital market, you know, clients um, often don't question it. Not, not that um, there's anything wrong with that, but I, I, I think about the step that you've gone through to, to 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 negate that and um i i think it's 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 admirable so um you know kudos to you um but I, I, but you're not just keeping this to yourselves are you i know T tell us a little bit you talked earlier about the uh you know the affiliate branches and um you know these other planning firms that you're bringing or planners that you're bringing mm -hmm. on board with your approach what's where's that coming from it's um it's trying to be that sort of community of like-minded individuals and an appreciation you can do a lot more through scale and brand um i mentioned at the outset something like st james's place do really well is that clients think they're dealing with a national firm but of course they're not there's lots of individual firms you know it's, it's dave and his shed um or there's steve who's actually got you know a nice office in a city center somewhere they're all really different businesses but they operate under the same kind of um umbrella um and i think well there's you know lots of firms try to copy them and do the same as them and set up you know ifa networks and doing the same thing dfm active fund management that why copy something that's, all, yes. that's already been done you know it's, someone else has cracked that you know it's, it's too late you can't invent the wheel after it's been invented um so it's it's trying to look at well what isn't there we are an independent evidence-based low-cost fixed fee financial planning firm are there many of us out there there, there there are a few there are more and more aren't there but there's certainly no network of like-minded firms where you all kind of you know get those economies of scale share that knowledge unless it's in a kind of a looser format maybe it's you know the guys who go to you know your conferences etc kind of think similarly but they are they are disparate companies different networks some are directly authorized they're all different um you think well if you get together more and you spend that common resource then on the marketing the non-financial sitting in front of clients bit you can pull that resource and just get better and better at doing it produce more content for clients invest more money on your seo work so you generate more clients get the knowledge out there to general public because otherwise we're competing with banks and national um, IFA firms and active fund managers, you can do that kind of advertising. The client is largely unaware of what evidence-based investing is. They're largely unaware of why you really should avoid active management. 
the vast majority of the time, unless you're a very lucky individual. Um, so how do we communicate that message? And it's individual small firms, that's difficult. That's really difficult. Mm, but as, mm. a, as a kind of a national alliance of like-minded firms, you can start chipping away. You can start chipping that, away at that. That's, that's very, so, so in, in, in essence, you are taking uh, SJP's marketing model of, you know, national brand, national awareness and, you know, client education and, and a network of, a network of, of like-minded firms. Um, in the, I've seen this done in the US, as you know, the BAM Alliance has done this very successfully. Yeah. No, I think it's incredible. So, so the firms... Are they appointed representative of, of, of rock wealth? Are they directly authorized? How, how are they set up these affiliate firms? Yeah, so um, appointed representatives of, of, of rock wealth and kind of the, the marketing, kind of all the, the other service kind of side of things um, is, is three evidence based advisors, um, which, which we've set up to kind of ultimately become the network, really. So, right. you know, rock wealth ourselves here in Shelton would kind of sit under that as a as they are then, because then you start centralizing expertise. You now you start centralizing compliance, marketing, you know, finance, all that kind of just running a business stuff can be centralized and have one full-time person or a team of full-time people who just do that rather than again, you know, having to take care of it locally. And I'd say as well, when sort of this this idea, it's probably more taken from people like yeah, Joe Duran, United Capital, it's the yes. Bama Alliance. Is that's the kind of model we're basing it on that's that's you look at those as success stories and think yeah there's not really a, an equivalent yeah no that's incredible that's incredible no I, I'm, I'm 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 watching that and and see how how it evolves um let's you know i i, I definitely believe that this space needs to be sh shaking up um, you're right in the uk today there isn't a nationally recognized brand of um, yeah, evidence-based financial planners. So yeah, it looks like you guys yeah. are onto something. Something. Yeah, and it's also it's it's owner-run businesses. I believe in owner-run businesses. Everyone having a stake in it, and it's 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 allowing everyone to have their own business and have that control of their destiny and making those kind of entrepreneurial returns. But you just share common common branding. Incredible. So let's talk about you then. You are obviously quite young. <laughs> Still. Thank you, Abraham. <laughs> but surely, as someone who help people plan their retirement and their, you know, exit strategy, surely you have one yourself. Tell us about it. Yes, you say not that young. I'm not. I'm not sure whether I, I appear young. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm 41. Um, I've got three children. 41 is, is incredibly young in this in this profession. You're in your 30s, aren't you, Abraham? You're in your 30s. <laughs> yeah, about just a just a, a millennial come to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so three children. My youngest is two. So oh, that wow. that but I'd say that's another 20 years of work. You know, yeah. as, as that's got to be. So yeah, I I don't really overly think exit um, for 20 years time. I appreciate. I'd like to one day, um, but also I do really like doing the job as financial planner so maybe um maybe exit just looks like as it does with a lot of our clients it's some kind of phase you know you gradually start working a bit less um maybe in the end you're looking after your um not necessarily best but your favorite kind of 10 20 25 clients you just really enjoy spending time with and add lots of value to um and you look after those for, for a period of time um 
I, I need to get a little bit closer to that that point in time before I, <laughs> I decide whether that was a crazy idea and actually I just want to uh, you know go off to a beach somewhere and 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 stay there for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got a while to make those decisions. I think. Incredible. So so how do you how do you invest your your own retirement portfolios? Let's let's get into Tim Oroch's portfolio. What does that look like? Today? Um, I think a lot of it is. Um, which is classically kind of what um, clients would say, and you'd, you'd really tell them off. <laughs> it's classically, you know, that entrepreneurial kind of investment in in the business. Really, that's that's what I've been doing since I was twenty eight. Is trying to grow something um, with value for value for that long term um, long term income flow. So a lot of um, my investment has always been back in the business, growing it, investing in things like the marketing, the SEO, which you know, comparatively we've spent you know tons of money on doing that for a you know a relatively or what was a relatively small firm. But it's it's about it's about that long term approach. But you do have a pension fund, don't you? Of course, yeah, Abraham. Of course, Abraham. Of course, Abraham. <laughs> of course, What's Abraham. in it? What's in it? Take take us inside it. Um. Yeah. Low costs. Evidence-based, bit of factor tilts, classic kind of, you know, what Abraham, um, I can tell you, would put together as, a, as an investment portfolio and, and you know, equity. Um, there wouldn't be much in the way of any kind of fixed income in there because I understand what happens in markets and leave things the hell alone for a long period of time and equity is the way to go. Good, good. So it's sort of same same things that you'd you'd recommend for, Absolutely. for, for clients in that Absolutely. stage yeah. of life. Yeah. Okay, so as, as we start to wrap this up, um, a couple more questions for you. What's your, what's your biggest financial mistake uh, as a financial planner? Well, in life, really. In Doesn't life. Have to... <laughs> <laughs> probably the least, least favorite question, Matt. Um, I'd probably say, you know, being in my 20s in, in the noughties and coming out of university was the real kind of time of easy credit availability. You could just go and have a good time and do some holidays. And um, that was probably the, the biggest mistake, really, was kind of leaving university and thinking, oh, <laughs> this is good. And just carry on partying a bit um, and, and spending the earnings before the earnings uh, were there. So that was, uh, um, in retrospect, probably not the most sensible idea. Um, but then... You're only in your twenties once. <laughs> you just uh, you can continue to pay the price for a period of time. Incredible stuff. Incredible. No, I, I made I made I made similar, if not worse, mistakes, and 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 I didn't get out of it until until in my thirties. So uh, really dug myself into a terrible, terrible hole uh, in terms of debt, and uh, had to crawl myself back in. I doubt yours was as worse as mine. Mine was really bad. But hey, here we are. Here we are. You've got to make mistakes to learn from things, haven't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's been incredibly um, fascinating and valuable talking to you, hearing your journey and, and, and what you're building. Um, thank you. Thank you very much, Tim, for, for your time and your wisdom. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. So that's it on Retirementals today. I hope that's been incredibly useful and valuable for you. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together, led by my producer, Hannah Dickinson. 
Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Bitfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat-fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.